The title of today's message is, you're going to love this, The Truth About Death. The Truth About Death. Yeah, we're going to spend a couple weeks talking about, looking in the Bible at death. And does someone say, what a morbid topic. Are you really going to talk to us for a couple weeks about death? Yeah, I am. But because I'm doing that, I'm going to start off with what I'll call a justification of spending several Sundays talking about death. A justification of spending several Sundays talking about death. There is a slide for that. So why am I doing this? Well, to start with, death is in the news, is it not? This is the first time in my ever increasingly long lifetime that I think I've heard death reports and death reports and there are daily, daily, daily death reports. I remember a little bit about that back when I was in my teens and the Vietnam War was going on, but that was only a little. This has been almost a year, constant inundation with death and death reports and death in the news. That might justify me talking about death a little bit. Another reason it might be justified is, you'll certainly agree with me, death is a large-scale problem. What is the biggest problem on the planet? It's people dying without Christ. It's people dying in Adam and not in Christ. But death is a large-scale problem. Every year, 65 million people die in our world. And that's not counting the 73 million who die a violent death in the womb in our world. And if you put those numbers together, this means about about 73, I'm sorry, about 138 million die every year. That's four every second. There's four, 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 four. Entering into the presence of God to stand before him, either in Christ, ready to meet him, or all unprepared to meet him in their sins. In the time it takes us to get through this sermon, 9,600 people will have died and entered into the presence of God. It's a large-scale problem. It's the biggest problem on the planet. But here's further justification for me drawing your attention to the subject of death for a little bit. Scripture talks a lot about death. I don't know if you realize that, but because it's such a big problem on the planet and because we're all headed there, Scripture talks a lot about death. Let me take you to just one point, for example. The book of Ecclesiastes, written by one who is called the preacher, written by one whose name seems to have been Koaleth. And in Ecclesiastes 7.2, Koaleth says to us, it is better, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Now just imagine that, just pause there and picture that. Over here, there's a house, it's a house of feasting. There's a party, there's lots of food, they've got some good wine, everybody's happy, maybe they're singing a little bit, it's a good, good time. 
And over here is a house of mourning, a house of grief, a house of sorrow. It's, it's a funeral parlor. There's just, been, there's just been a death. The most recent funeral I attended was in Baltimore City just a few weeks ago. One of, one of you, one of our people, it was, it was your brother, died a tragic, unexpected, sudden, violent death. And the mood in that place was so striking. I don't think I've ever seen a mood so striking at a funeral as that one was. Everyone seemed to be stunned. That deer in the headlights look, looking down, staring off into nothingness, speaking only in hushed tones. That's the house of mourning. Picture those two. Over here's a party. And over here's the house of mourning. Now, which would you rather spend some time in? And coalesce, the preacher tells you, oh, You'd be better off going to the house of mourning. Why? He goes on to say, for this is the end of all mankind. And I'm going to put in parentheses my words. And if you go there, then here's what will happen. The living will lay it to heart. In other words, he's saying, you should go there because it's good to think about your own death. It's good to see that and to lay it to heart. And then he goes on, Ecclesiastes 7, 3. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. What can make your heart glad? Strange, not what you expect. Sorrow. Because that sorrow brings you into the presence of God. That sorrow takes you to your own grave. That sorrow takes you out into eternity where you're with Christ in glory forever, and it makes your heart glad. One more verse from Coeleth, Ecclesiastes 7, 4. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Why? Because in the house of mourning, something deep might happen. Because in the house of mourning, it's more likely that something you need eternally might happen. You might be inclined to think soberly, realistically about your own life and your own death. You might have more serious thoughts about God and eternity in the house of mourning, and you need to have those thoughts. So going to the house of mourning has a way of resetting your priorities, your focus of recalculating what you intend to do in life. So it's good for us to go to the house of mourning. So that's another way I'll justify speaking to you about death. Scripture often, I only gave one example from one book, Ecclesiastes. Scripture often speaks to us about our own death. But here's another way I'll justify talking to you for a while about death. And if I don't watch it, I'm going to spend my whole time justifying that I do it. And we won't get to do it until next time. But here's another way to justify it. Thinking about death is what I'm going to call deep work for your soul. Familiar with deep work? I I just read a book, fabulous book, titled Deep Work. It's about how to not spend your working life taking care of busy work that doesn't really add up to much, but how to instead fix your time and plan your time so you can spend your working hours in things that are deep. Here's the definition the author gives us of deep work. Deep work is professional activity performed in a state of distraction-free concentration that pushes your cognitive capabilities to their limit. 
That's deep work. All you with some attention deficit disorder, you ought to read that book. You ought to be challenging. You ought to read it. Thinking about death is deep work for your soul. You're not distracted by all the glittering things, by all the fun at the parties when you're at the house of mourning. There's deep work, focused deep work going on in your soul. Here's another way to justify spending a little time thinking about our death. Great Christians in the past thought, spoke, and preached often about death. They had to. Death was so much more, this sounds ridiculous, common in those days. What I mean by that is, um, it was very common that you had lost your first wife and the baby she was bearing. It was very common that you lost your second wife and the baby she was bearing. It was very common that your third wife bore you one and it lived and another and it died and a third one and it died and another and it lived and another and it died. Death was an occurrence that every family was experiencing. And so the, the, the great Puritan preachers, if you will, they preached a lot about death. Let me give you some examples. This is going pre-Puritan to start with. Martin Luther in the 1400s, and he lived into the 1500s. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, even in the best of health, we should have death always before our eyes so that we will not expect to remain on this earth forever. Now, I love this next part but we'll have one foot in the air, so to speak. I like that. Here I am, I'll hang on this time. One foot in the air. I'm on my way up, Lord. One foot on earth and one foot heading to heaven, Martin Luther. Jonathan Edwards, great pastor in New England in the 1700s, as a young man wrote down 70 resolutions which he read to himself weekly to help keep his life focused. He was a man who did deep work. He spent a lot of time doing deep work. All of his resolutions start with the word resolved. I've read them. Listen to resolution number nine. That's not the Beatles, revolution number nine. It's resolution number nine from Jonathan Edwards. Resolved to think much on all occasions of my dying and of the common circumstances which attend death for all. Jonathan Edwards. I'm going to think about death a lot throughout my life. Read that to himself constantly. Richard Baxter, a Puritan preacher in the 1600s in England who lived with chronic bodily illness, said, this, he's famous for this one, he's famous for a lot, but he's really famous for this one, I preach as though I'll never preach again and as a dying man to dying men. He's saying, every time I get up in my pulpit, and they had big pulpits, and every time I get up in my pulpit, I realize it might be my last time. I might be a dying man. And every time they come to hear me, it might be their last time. They might die this week and never return again. So I always preach as a dying man to dying men. It's justified that we spend a little bit of time thinking about our own death. And I have one more reason. Can you hang in there with me? One more reason why I think it just might be justified. And this is not scripture speaking. This is just me talking, but a lot of other people have said this. 
you'll live better, I'll live better, we'll live better when we've reckoned with death. Here in this season on planet Earth with COVID, the global pandemic, you and I will live better if we've made our peace with God and so our peace with death. If we reckoned with death, if we've come to terms with death, when we take our thoughts about death captive to obedience to Jesus Christ, when our thoughts about death are governed not by our emotions and our feelings, but they are governed by Scripture, by the Word of God. And there's a lot in Scripture to govern our thoughts and our feelings about death. Peek ahead. I don't think I'm going to get this far today. I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get this far today. But here's where this message began. I had one point I wanted to preach about, and the one point was this. You should not fear death. And Christians, in fact, do not fear death because we've been delivered from death by Christ our Savior. We've been delivered those who all their lives were held captive to fear of death have been delivered from that fear. Death is but my entrance into glory, says a great old hymn. So that's to bring you back next week. That's where we'll start next week if I get as far as I think I will today. That's what I really wanted to preach about, but it grew. And you'll live better when you've reckoned with death, when you learn to number your days. Don't you like that phrase of Moses, the man of God? He prayed, it's a prayer, not a phrase. He prayed, Lord, teach me to number my days that I may incline my heart to wisdom. I know of one Christian leader, I believe he's still alive, but I knew about him in my younger years and went to hear him preach sometimes, and he, he actually advocated that you create for yourself a backwards calendar that actually counts numerically the remaining days of your life, and you start with four score and, four score and ten, was it three score and ten, whatever it is, you start there, what is it? Give yourself 70 or 80 years, all right? And, and then numerically count backwards. So every day you look at the calendar, it says you have 300 days left. You have 298 days left. You have 154 days left. So you incline your heart to wisdom. I'm older than most of you. And believe me, realizing that you have a lot less time on the planet than you used to have realizing that you have a shortage of time and soon you're going to have an extreme shortage of time has a way of bringing things into a clear focus for you, has a way of motivating you for how you want to spend those few precious remaining days you have on earth. You'll live better when you've reckoned with death. So, before we get to point number one, I have for you a plea. Let's spend this time well, huh? Like, don't begrudge it. I know it's Christmas and they got you all keyed up for Christmas. But don't begrudge that we're talking about death. Let's spend this time well. Please listen to the scriptures intently. Let's pray about what the scriptures say to us. Let's let it down into the deep places in our souls. Let's receive the word of God and ask the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts that we would learn in this time when we focus on death and grow in the grace and knowledge of God. All right, that was the introduction. Are you ready for point number one? It's going to be really cheerful. 
It's guaranteed to put a bounce in your step. Here it is. You're probably going to die. I guess you realize that, but I thought it would be a good place to start in a sermon on the truth about death. That's true about death. You're probably going to die. You should reckon with that. You know, in the Bible, there are three deaths. There are three kinds of deaths. There's physical death. That's the one I'm talking about. Physical death separates you, removes you from the fellowship of humans on the planet. Then there's spiritual death. You die that with Adam. You're born spiritually dead. That's when you're removed from fellowship with God in the universe. And then there's what the Bible calls eternal death, or sometimes it's called the second death. And the second death occurs at the last day when you are not in Christ and God says, depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity, and you're cast into outer darkness, and that is called the second death. You, you died physically, you died spiritually, but then somehow, there's not good math in the Bible, your second death is the one you might die at the last day. Now, the one we're talking about today is just the first one, physical death. You're probably going to die. And does someone in the room say, probably? What do you mean, probably? Have you read the Old Testament? Who can remember two guys? I'll give you a hint. They're both in the Old Testament, and both of their names start with E. Elijah and Enoch, who didn't die. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And Elijah went up in a chariot of fire and did not pass death, did not collect $200, went straight up. There are two guys in the Old Testament who did not die. The Bible never says that will never happen again. It might happen to you. Maybe God will want you in heaven so badly, he'll snatch you up. I know the probability is very slim. I know a little bit about numbers, and I know it's highly unlikely, but we have to leave room for a black swan. Anybody else reading Nassim Taleb, his black swan? Sudden, unexpected occurrences that have dire effects, drastic, dramatic effects. We have to leave room for that. God may do it again. The Bible never says he won't do that again. So I say some of you will probably, some of you will, will all probably die. Some of you might not, might not. Two guys in the Old Testament didn't. Not only that, but there will be some who will not die, and it might be all of us. The Apostle Paul writes about this, 1 Corinthians 15, 51. He says, behold, look at this, pay attention, see this. I tell you a mystery. You didn't know this before. It's now revealed in God's word. Prior to that, it was a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Sleep is euphemism for death. It's the Bible's soft word. Soften the impact of that strong word, death. We shall not all sleep. We're not all going to die. But we shall all be changed. We need one of you who is an artist to do a really beautiful big calligraphy of that verse, and we'll put it on the wall in the nursery. That's the nursery verse. They won't all sleep, but they'll all be changed. <laughs> Some of you were a little slow on the take there. But it's true of us. 
Paul is speaking to believers in his time, and it applies to believers in our time, and God's word could say to all of us here today, none of us might die. If Jesus comes back before you die during this service, please don't die in the service, if Jesus comes back, you will not die. You will go directly into the presence of God, in Christ or not, to heaven or hell, through judgment. So you might not die. And 1 Thessalonians 4.15, Paul chimes in and says, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. This is God's word, it's the truth. That we who are alive, that is, when Christ comes back, we who are left on the planet, still living, haven't died until the coming of the Lord, uh, we will not precede, going up into the presence of God, those who have fallen asleep. So he's saying there's going to be a bunch of, there's going to be a generation, there's going to be a bunch of people, there's going to be a day when Christians all over the earth will together go into God's presence bypassing death. A whole lot of believers are not going to die someday. And again, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, the Apostle Paul writes, then we who are alive, who are left, see, they'll come out of the grave and go up first. We who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. No death. So I might not die. You might not die. So what are you, all this worrying and fretting, you might not even die. Pray, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Like for me, probably that means you've got to come in the next 30 years, max, right? 30 years to come, Lord. Wait till all my grandchildren are in Christ, please, and then come. All right? Don't be worrying about it. Don't be fretting about it. Which reminds me of the words of the great prophet Mark Twain, who said, I have lived a long life and had many troubles, most of which never happened. Most of the troubles you live through have never happened. Death might not even happen. It might be a trouble, you're fretting and you're fearing, and it's never even going to happen to you. But the fact of the matter is, most of us will die, and you will probably die. And the Bible puts it bluntly, Hebrews 9.27, please. It is appointed unto man once to die. You have an appointment with death. Do any of you know that story? There's a famous story. It's about a merchant in Baghdad and his servant. He sent a servant into the city to buy some provisions, and in a little while the servant came back white and trembling and said, Master, just now when I was in the marketplace, I was jostled by a woman in the crowd, and when I turned, I saw she was death. It was death that jostled me. She looked at me, and she made a threatening gesture. Please lend me your horse. I will ride away from this city and avoid my fate. I will go to Samra, and there death will not find me. The merchant gave him his horse, and the servant mounted it, and he dug in his spurs and, and, and his, went as fast as the horse could gallop, and he went to Samra. Then back in Baghdad, the merchant, the merchant thought, I'm going to go into town and see if I see death anywhere. And he went into town, and there she was. And and there was death. And he said to her, why did you make a threatening gesture to my servant when you saw him this morning? And death said, oh, that was not a threatening gesture. It was only a start of surprise. 
I was astonished to see him in Baghdad, for I have an appointment with him tonight in Samra. (laughs) Famous story that illustrates that verse in the Bible. It is appointed unto me. You can try to get away from the appointment. The appointment will follow you. It is appointed unto man once to die. And Paul chimes in 1 Corinthians 15, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Everybody gets resurrected in Christ. Actually, everybody, Daniel tells us, everybody, there's a general resurrection. Everyone outside of Christ gets a resurrection too, one unto life and one unto death. Everyone will be raised. To be human is to be in a body. We do not spend eternity disembodied. We spend eternity in bodies, resurrected bodies for life or for death. Romans 6, the apostle Paul writes, the wages of sin is death. Ezekiel 18, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Somebody has said the statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one dies except Enoch and Elijah and all those left when Christ comes. So you'll probably die. Don't waste one second worrying about it. Don't waste one second fretting about it, but think about it. Now here's a second question, and I don't want to spend much time on this, so pardon me for going kind of fast. Why do we die? Here's the answer. Go back and listen to the four sermons recently on why God. End of that discussion. We die because of the fall, not quite the end. We die because of our fall with Adam. And what did God say? They're in the garden. God said, you can eat anything you want, eat from any tree you want, eat any of the fruit you want. There's only one prohibition. There's only one negative. There's only one no. It's that tree right in the center of the garden. Do not eat from it. For if you do, dying you shall die is the Hebrew phrase in there. It means you'll surely die. And sure enough, they took from that one tree and they ate and they died spiritually immediately, and they died physically many years later, but they died. And that's what Paul's referring to when he says, Romans 5.12, please, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. What he's saying is, God, God could have made every one of us his own Adam, and we would have all individually sinned and fallen, and maybe Christ would have had to die for every single human to ever live once at a time, because we sin once at a time. Instead of doing that, he, he federated us, and he made Adam our federal head, and Christ becomes our federal head. Picture it this way. There's seven billion people on the planet right now. All those who are not in Christ are in Adam. It's as if Adam is a giant. Picture a great big giant, and he's got Velcro all over his clothing. And people have Velcro, and they're stuck to his Velcro. And there's people all over Adam. They're in Adam. They've not come to Christ yet. And and they live and die with what Adam did in their place. He's their federal head. And because Adam sinned and received death, they are sinners and received death. And then Christ is another giant with Velcro all over him. And when you believe on the Lord Jesus, you're pulled off of Adam and you're stuck onto Christ. And now his fortunes, his grace, his life, his blessing become your lot. And at the last day you're found in Jesus Christ. So that's why we die because we are 
with our federal head, we're grouped together, we're lumped together with Adam and his fortunes, his penalty become our fortunes, our penalty. That's why we die. Now a third point for today, moving on, hastening past that one. Your death, I want you to know this, you know this, your death will lead you immediately right into the very presence of the Lord, right into the presence of God. When you die, you stand before a holy God. You're probably going to die. It's coming pretty fast. And when you do, you're right there in the presence of almighty, holy God. Whether you're a believer or not, you will wake up looking at God, seeing God in the very presence of God. You'll see the Lord Jesus. He will either be your Savior, whom you love, or your judge, whom you dread. Depends on what you did with him in life. Depends on whether you left Adam and joined yourself to Christ. Your death will lead you automatically into the presence of the Lord. Let me read you that from the Bible, 2 Corinthians 5.8. Makes it very simple and very plain. Which part of this can we not understand? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. So the moment you're absent from the body, the moment your soul leaves that body lying there that just breathed its last, immediately you're in the presence of the Lord. You're there to worship, you're there to adore, or you're there to be judged and sent into outer darkness, banished from grace and light forever. Let me give you real fast, and I was going to spend more time on these, but I can't, and that's okay. We don't need to. Six views on what happens after death. These are views going around in our world and views going around in Christendom. The first of them is what we'll call soul sleep. This is the Seventh-day Adventist view. Many of them are our brothers and sisters in Christ, so let's not be mean to them. But they believe that when you die, you don't really go into the presence of the Lord yet. You're going to be in a state of soul sleep. It's like, what's it called, cryotherapy, where they freeze you? You're going to be like frozen in heaven. You're going to be frozen, and your soul will be asleep. You're not conscious of anything. You're not conscious of being in God's presence. And then one day, he'll wake you up, and there you'll be. It'll be the last day, and you'll be there. A lot of time will have passed. Um, The problem with that is there are many problems. I'll just give you a quick one. What did Jesus say to the thief on the cross? Yeah, you all said it. This day, you will be in paradise with me. No soul sleep, straight to paradise. Straight to the presence of God, straight to heaven. Here's a second view of what happens after death, annihilation. This is what all naturalists believe. You're just done. It's just over. The curtain comes down, the light goes off, goes off, and in a generation, you are totally forgotten. All your efforts, all your passions, all your loves, all, they basically add up to nothing because you're annihilated. Some Christians have a theory of annihilation now. Rather than an eternal hell with conscious torment, which is what the Bible teaches, they've come up with theories and ways of interpreting the Bible that make it that you actually suffer as long as your sins deserve, and then you'll be annihilated. I keep doing that. I've got to stop that. You'll be annihilated. And if they have a high view of Scripture, and they're trying to be fair with Scripture, but that's how they're reasoning from it, I'm not going to call them a heretic, but I'm going to call their view pretty sketchy. And then there's reincarnation. 
You can line your birdcage with that one. And then there's purgatory. The Church of Rome in 1439 was challenged by Martin Luther who said, show it to me in the Bible and I'll believe it. So they added a book to the Bible, a book that had purgatory in. It's part of what we call the Apocrypha. And they said, there, see, it's in Scripture. In Acts chapter whatever it is, there was a great fire and they burned all their awful books. You can burn the books that have purgatory in that fire. All right? But then we come to the most interesting one, and this is where Christians differ with one another. There is, some say, an intermediate state for believers. You won't be at the last day yet. You won't, you won't have your resurrected body yet. You'll be disembodied, but you will be in the presence of the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord. So you'll have a kind of an intermediate state. You won't be in your final state yet, body and soul united, living in the presence of God forever. Have you heard that view? So there's this intermediate state. It, it might be right, but I don't think so. But it might be right. Some even go farther and say, uh, because of a passage we're going to look at, you'll have during that time a temporary body. This gets really weird. Like, where does it say that in Scripture? But there are serious theologians who say, in the intermediate state, you won't have your final resurrected body, but you'll have some kind of a temporal body, a temporary body. Here's the passage we need to deal with on that. Let's deal with it in the six minutes and 16 seconds we have remaining, though we might go over, just giving you a hint. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul writes, for we know that if the tent, that's your body, it's just a tent, temporary dwelling place. We know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, Mack truck runs over you, splat. You're a pancake. We have a building from God, a house, another body, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So Paul's building you up for this. When you lose this body, there's another one coming. Yeah, but is there an intermediate state where I'm disembodied for a while? Is there an intermediate state where I'm in a temporary body for a while? Well, let's read on. For, he says, in this tent... We groan. Is that true? Is there anyone in this room who does not groan? While well, in this tent, we groan. But here's what we do when we groan. Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, that body. Man, I want the new body. I'm going to be 6'4", 280 pounds, 4% fat. And Debbie's going to go... Why couldn't he have looked that way when I had him? <laughs> We're longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. So here's what Christians have to look forward to. Not being naked, a heavenly streaker with no body, just a bare soul that doesn't cover it up, doesn't get covered up. No, we, we don't want to be found naked Oh, that phrase, heavenly spiritual streakers, I was supposed to eliminate that before it went on the, wasn't supposed to be on the PowerPoint. That's for my notes only. You all got it. And then he goes on saying, um, next slide, quick, bail me out. Next slide, please. He who has prepared us, all right, being burdened, not that we should, 
Go back again, that's better. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we want to be unclothed. We're not planning on being unclothed for a while. That's not what I'm teaching. I'm not teaching you're going to be unclothed for a period of time. No, you're just going to be clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And the last verse now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So, very common evangelical view is you either be disembodied for a while or you'll have a temporary body for a while. I don't know where they get that idea. They make it up. It's not in Scripture anywhere. Here's a different idea. Just try it on for size. Don't burn me at the stake. Just try it on for size. I'm going to call it, because I don't know what to call it, God's time. God's time. At death, you will slip right out of human time, right out of human time keeping, and into God's time into God's timekeeping. And in God's timekeeping, time works differently. Einstein was getting this close, close to God. When he was sitting at the train station looking at the big clock and trains going by and imagining if a train went in the speed of light and you were in the train, what would you see? And if you're not in the train, what would you see? And he figured out, you know what? Time can go faster and slower. And that's generally believed to be right. Time is not a fixed thing. It can speed up. It can slow down. And in God's presence, it's all slowed down to an eternally present now. In other words, God doesn't say, okay, what time is it? Oh, man, I missed my next one. No, there's no passing of time. He's always eternally conscious of all time. It's always ever present right before him. And when we die, maybe this is what works. Maybe this is what fits 1 Corinthians 5. We go directly into God's timekeeping. It's like you're playing Monopoly. And I was playing Monopoly last night with one of you, a father, and with one of you, your son. And I won, by the way. And the son didn't cry. That was really good. And it's as if you you draw a go directly to card, and it just says go directly to the last day. And when you die, you enter into God's time, and there, I did it again. You're right at the last day, and you're raised and reunited to your resurrected body, and you're ever after there in the presence of God. You die, and whammo. I had a junior high science teacher who said whammo a lot, so there I got to use the whammo. Whammo. You go directly to the last day. You do not pass go. There's no years in between. You are immediately in the presence of the Lord where you will discover that either you are prepared to meet him because you're attached to Jesus Christ or you are eternally unprepared and will be banished from his light. Oh, please turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a great old phrase, used to be, there were probably sermons by this title, born once, you die twice, born twice, you die once. Here's what that means, you're born only once, born from your mother's womb, not reborn a second time into the Lord Jesus, into the family of God, you're only born once, you're going to die twice, you're going to die physically, and you're going to die an eternal death, born once, you die twice. But born twice, once from your mother's womb, and once from the Holy Spirit's womb to new life in Jesus Christ. Born twice, you die once, physically, to be immediately 
in the presence of the Lord, a new heavens and a new earth, a new body, and righteousness dwells in it all. So, this is where I need to close this message because it says zero, zero, colon, zero, zero, time. Speaking of time, there's my wind down clock. There's my backwards calendar. I'm out of time. Couple of things I want to say in clothing. Closing. <laughs> One is knowing that you will probably die. You should use your spare little bit of time left on the earth to seek the Lord Jesus Christ, to call upon his saving name. He receives all who turn to him. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how bad you've been. It doesn't matter what a mess you've made of your life. You don't clean up your act first. You'll never get to him if you wait till you clean up your act. You turn to him, you call upon him, you believe upon him. He receives you with open, gracious arms. You become a blood-bought child of God. Your sins are forgiven. You have everlasting life. Now he'll go to work in you to clean up your act. Oh, please, use the little bit of remaining time you have to draw near to the true and living God. You know, the Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. You don't want to fall all unexpected. Oh, what happened? I fell. You fell into the hands of a living God. You don't want that. You want to enter. You want to be received into the hands of the living God because you're in Jesus Christ. Time is given to us in order to get ready for eternity. This is not the show, that's the show. This is the prelude, this is the preface, this is the dress rehearsal. You're in the dress rehearsal right now. Do it well. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And the next point in the sermon will start next Sunday morning if we're alive and if we meet. And it is knowing what you know about what's coming, knowing what you know about life. My brothers and sisters in Christ, even in a season of COVID, don't fear death. You're going to die. Just a matter of how. You might even fear the how. It might be a rough road. Or it might be sudden and easy. Either way, if it's a rough road, it's what Peter calls now for a little time, if need be. It isn't long. And eternity goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. So don't fear of death. We'll see you next week. Don't be foolhardy with it either. Wear your mask. Take precautions. But don't fear death. All right? Christians, don't fear death. That's next week. Bow with me and let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are praying for people in this room and people who are with us online, praying that right now you would send the Holy Spirit with power into hearts to draw men and women, to draw boys, to draw girls to the Lord Jesus. If you're within the sound of my voice and you feel the Spirit of God pulling on your heart, would you pray with me, please? The words don't matter, your heart matters, but would you express that heart with these words? Father in heaven, I'm a sinner. 
I don't deserve to enter into heaven when I die. But I'm turning to you, Lord. I want to be plucked out of Adam. I want to be attached to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm praying that you would forgive my sins. They are many. Some of them are foul. Praying that you would give me that free gift of eternal life that Christ purchased for his people on the cross. And if you're praying that, the Father will hear your prayer and he will forgive you your trespasses and he will give you life everlasting. Father, draw people to yourself, we pray. And would you strengthen the hearts of believers that they may not fear death, but serve you boldly in its presence. For we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Hey, just before I go, I want to mention to you, there's a Connect card in the chair in front of you. If you're in the room, if you're watching with us online, there's a Connect card, Connect card. pardon me, right under the video. It says Connect With Us. Just click on there, please, and reach out to us. If we can help you, if we can counsel you, if we can encourage you, if you have follow-up questions about today's sermon, just write them in there for us. We'll get in touch with you. We would love to do that. Please give us the opportunity. Thank you all. Pastor Stan. Good morning.